0: This is Monica Perez, and
1: I'm Brad Binkley,
0: (laughs) and we are joined today completely off format for us. It's normally just the two of us talking about the news of the day or whatever deep dive Binkley brings us to, but today we have a guest. Brian Tui, is the author of numerous books on cheating in professional and amateur sports, including The Fixes in larceny games sports gambling game fixing and the fbi a season in the abyss and the fix is still in brian has written countless articles on the subject and has been interviewed by numerous media outlets large and small and has also tapped into other subjects including having having written the book disaster government national emergencies continuity of government and you his website is the brian thank you so much for joining us
2: No problem. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Is that, would you say that's a comprehensive bio? Did I leave anything out?
2: Uh, You know, you could have put in maybe my like GPA in college, but no, I think that's got it.
0: (laughs) I think it was probably pretty good because I've listened to some of your podcasts. I actually had heard, uh, I knew about you, about your books. I'd listened to you before and it kind of changed the way that I thought about sports. So a couple of years ago, and the Astros were going all the way in the wake of Hurricane Harvey, I said, oh, yeah, of course they'll win because Hurricane Harvey, Houston's strong, blah, blah, blah. Well, my husband's from Houston, and he's like, they're the best team in the league. That's why they're going all the way. And I, I said, well, you know, but little little advantages can help. They have to be good. But, you know, you never know on the margin what benefits they can get. And a couple of years later, just in November – just a couple months ago, I saw this this cheating scandal come down about the, well, I don't even know if I want to call it a cheating scandal, but that the Astros were using the monitors in the stadium to steal signs. So I immediately glommed on to that because I was like, see the little advantages, maybe they turned a blind eye to this at the time. And I tweeted about that and a mutual tweet of ours suggested that we get together. And as luck would have it, even though that was a couple of months ago, just yesterday, the league comes down with an amazing, amazingly harsh penalty. The manager and the general manager suspended for a year. I think it was they, the Astros lost the first and second round draft pick for two years. They were charge the largest fine, possible $5 million. And then Jim Crane turns around and fires both of those guys, which to me really went too far. But I noticed that you tweeted you didn't expect any of this. Like a week or two ago, you said, yeah, I'll believe it. When I see it, they get away with murder, something like that. (laughs) Can you tell me if this did surprise you and why?
2: It surprised me a little bit, only because a lot of times when you allow – a company and you should remember major league baseball is a business when you allow a business to investigate itself rarely does the business find that it did something wrong you know i mean that's not that's not their mo usually it takes law enforcement some sort of outside agency to look into some sort of scandal or some sort of wrongdoing before something will really come to the forefront and actual you know suspensions and fines and stuff like that get handed out and in this case. I think Major League Baseball had to do something because enough of this had come out on YouTube. You know, there have been a lot of articles, a lot of think pieces about, you know, what really went on that I think their hand was somewhat forced. And what I find interesting in all this is that even though Major League Baseball said the players were really the ones doing this, they didn't do anything to a single player. Nobody got suspended. Nobody got fined. It was just the general manager and one coach. I mean, it wasn't the whole coaching staff. It was just the head coach. And the general manager, they got suspended and then they got summarily fired. But at the same time, if the players were doing it, well, why not go after them? I mean, I know supposedly the story is is that they basically turned state's evidence for Major League Baseball and they spilled the beans. But still, if they're the ones that were, you know, quote unquote cheating, then why aren't they the ones being punished for it?
0: Well... Uh, I, I would, I would think maybe an argument might be that they were kind of told to do it, but I don't think that's what the finding of the league was that they, exactly. it, it, nobody really said that. And what a couple of things bother me about the whole story is it seems to me highly likely that the Astros weren't the only ones. So, so if it is actually a scenario where it's an unwritten rule or the rules aren't clear or everybody's doing it, you kind of have to do what everybody else is doing you can't be holier than the league and do stuff and take the high road at the well, expense of be. losing
2: <laughs> you could be you could right? be but I mean, it you wouldn't could work. follow the rules and you could do what's right i mean that would be you know the moral thing to do but again if you want to win baseball games you're probably correct you would if everyone else is cheating you too would then have to cheat and I mean, it's kind just of... like steroids you know, yes and performance enhancing well, drugs if everybody else is doing them you could just do it on your own merits, but if everybody, again, else is doing it, then why not participate as well?
0: I always kind of wondered why it even mattered about the steroids. Let them do it if they want. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> I can't hear you, Binkley.
1: Either can oh, I- my gosh. That's because I had my microphone <laughs> muted, so I was in here talking to my dog.
0: <laughs> I can hear the papers <laughs> rustling, and then I didn't, so I should have realized what happened. So
1: my my question about that is – since sign-stealing is not illegal, it was the technology aspect of it that they focused on. Sign-stealing has been – that's something that it's like card counting. People are going to do it. And what do you think with the technology? Because there's so much mass surveillance going on. There's always cameras everywhere. It seems to me inevitable that all the teams are eventually going to be doing some sort of surveillance on the other teams within the game.
2: Well, again, I think it's a lot like – Steroids and performance enhancing drugs. I mean, they've kind of proven that the chemists who come up with these creations are ahead of the testers. So it seems like, you know, if you wanted to use, you can use and do it without really being caught because they don't have the testing abilities to catch you doing certain drugs and certain medications. And I think it's the same, like you say, with sign stealing, you can have the technology always kind of be one step ahead of those people who might be investigating you for potentially cheating in this regard. Um, but I still think that, you know, if Major League Baseball knew about this, and I can't imagine even though that it was basically one player who talked to the Athletic that was on that Astros team that started this whole snowball rolling. But I can't believe Major League Baseball was that dumb, just like with steroids. I can't believe they didn't know it was going on in some way, shape, or form.
0: Well, I so yeah. I think their
2: hand was forced because of that because admission of that- by the one player that started this whole thing rolling. Otherwise, you know... Like you brought up at the beginning, the whole thing about Houston winning after the hurricane and becoming Houston strong, I found to be very suspect. Right. Because it's amazing how often, you know, you have the Saints tied to Hurricane Katrina. You've had, you know, the Las Vegas Golden Knights and their first season be tied to the shooting that took place in Las Vegas right when, you know, the right, NHL right. season started. And all those teams that get the attached side. to these hashtags, you know, Houston strong, Vegas strong, whatever, always seem to go to the championship game, if not win the championship. It's very, you know, quote-unquote coincidental that that sort of thing happens. So what if Major League Baseball actually knew that the Astros were cheating and let them do that because they wanted them to win that World well, Series that's... to fulfill the you know whole prophecy in a way?
0: That's what I was thinking. But I also, now it wasn't 2017 when this came out, but in, I, nobody seems to have seen this article. But in October 2018, there was an article in The Athletic that said everybody cheats a little. That was a year before the whistleblower came out in The Athletic to give the details of it. And it went into detail about how the Astros were doing it down to banging the garbage cans. This was in October 2018. So I have to say that the most significant thing about that to me was that Jim Crane went and fired the manager and the GM, and how would he not have known if this was like – it was on – Yahoo picked it up. Yahoo yeah. News picked it up back then. Well, so how did nobody else in,
2: How did nobody else in baseball realize somebody's hitting a baseball uh, – a garbage can with a baseball bat for crying
0: out loud? <laughs> yeah, I mean how many
2: times that. could that happen and nobody go, hey, what the heck's that sound, and why does <laughs> it only happen when we throw fastballs? I mean, how did nobody put two and two together? I mean, that's what makes it so weird to me. Is it should have been blatantly obvious to the other teams that hey, well, that's what the first
0: article in October 2018 said is that the teams were warning each other about playing at Minute Maid Park.
2: Well, and that's the thing because you watched the year that they won the World Series, and Houston's home record was incredibly good, insanely good. And so, I mean, somebody you know put two and two together. And here's where we are now. And the thing is, I think if Street baseball really wanted to curtail this and really wanted to punish the Astros, they would strip them of the World Series title and make everybody give their rings back. If they don't want to suspend the players, find the players, then, you know, strip that from them, take that from them and be serious about it like baseball was 100 years ago when they kicked the eight Black Sox out of the league for gambling.
0: I've always noticed that, like even when Sammy Sosa corked his bat, I was like, "He's cheating! Don't you kick him out for that?"
1: I, I personally think that a lot of sports fans would rather their team cheat and win than not cheat and lose. Maybe I'm wrong in that perception. How how do you think that the fans react when like a title would be in college if a title's taken away or if there's a a stain on a championship like this? I don't think
2: it matters because it's too late. I
1: mean, again, right now where it's 2020
2: and we're talking about a World Series that took place, you know, two and a half, three years ago. Yeah. It's too late. They had their parade. They sold all their, you know, commemorative hats and t-shirts and banners and whatever else. They made all the money they could have made off that championship. Stripping them that title is more symbolic, really, in a way than anything. I mean, it really amounts to really not much of a punishment because it's already in the past. It's already over and people won't really go back and go, remember who won the. World Series in 2017, oh, yeah, it was no one. No, they'll remember the Astros won. I mean, whether they cheated or not, that's still the thing that sticks in their heads.
0: Well, they always say that, or they're saying, like, it didn't happen in the postseason, which, of course, like, that seems pretty highly (laughs) unlikely. But this makes me think of kind of your bigger point, which where it mostly comes in to play this fixing is when a team works against its own interests and that's where it seems to me that that the disconnect is for gambling reasons or whatever shaving points or tanking or taking a dive
2: well i approach the subject of game fixing from two angles one like you said is from the gambling aspect and getting players or referees to alter the outcome of a game for gambling purposes and you know I believe strongly that that's happened way more often than it's ever been uncovered or even discussed. In fact, here I'll even I'll pose you guys a question. Here, let me throw a question at you. When was the last time the NBA admitted one of their games had been fixed by a gambler?
0: <laughs> Never, right?
1: Well, take a guess. It act, it happened, but take a guess. Well, I, mean, I like think it guess. was a few, maybe ten years ago, when that referee got busted. No. No, Tim Donahue did get busted for gambling, but he did not get arrested or charged
2: with fixing a game. Although many people believe he did, that actually didn't come into play. Okay. The last time it happened was in 1954. <laughs> okay. Now, when's the last time a major league baseball game was fixed for gambling purposes?
0: 1918. I yes. think it was like 19
2: years <laughs> Yeah, the World Series, 1919 World Series. When was the last time an NFL game has been fixed by gamblers? Sunday. <laughs>
0: dude wasn't that seahawks thing that i thought of you the seahawks packers game i thought of you brian but they, it well, was all thank you but actually the
2: nfl says it's never happened in it's a hundred year history which any gambler would just laugh in their face for saying that but the fact is nobody's ever been arrested or charged with fixing a game criminally for the NFL or like say even major league baseball going back a hundred years. So the leaks claim this has never happened. And yet I did an investigation where I got every file. I mean, every file the FBI had through the freedom of information act, which amounted to thousands of pages of information, which said not only has games have been fixed in major league baseball, in the NBA, in the NFL, but that hall of fame athletes were involved in potentially fixing games and at the very least gambling upon their own games in which they played.
1: Yes. Now so think you think that would be a big yeah. deal.
0: Is the is the big deal though that these guys are engaging in gambling which is a crime or because they're fixing games in their own league which is nobody's business.
2: Well, here's the thing. Now, what's actually a crime is there's really one law that relates to all this at least federal law and that's the Sports Bribery Act. And all that says is you cannot bribe a referee, a coach, or an athlete to alter the outcome of a game. Okay. But let's say you're just for sake of argument, say you're Aaron Rodgers, and you decide as Aaron Rodgers, I'm gonna throw this game and I'm gonna, you know, bet on Vegas that like this week the 49ers beat us, cover the spread, beat the Packers and I, Aaron Rodgers, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna throw five interceptions and make sure my team loses. That's not a crime. Yeah. There's no law being broken if he goes out there and decides to do that. And so, so that, that gets, gets to my, back
0: to your self regulating thing.
2: Well, and that gets back to my other way if I look at games being fixed is I believe games are manipulated
1: by the leagues themselves and by sometimes by the athletes themselves to get certain outcomes to come true. And what do you think some of the motivations are? I, I know you had a, a, a variety of them in your book. One in particular, you told a story about gambling for life when the NBA player went to the oh, party. Oh, you're talking
0: about the film?
1: Yes, the, That the was really film.
0: fascinating, that documentary. <laughs> can we ask him to recap that and then we ask him a question?
2: Well, no? here's the interesting story about that. So I get this video, which is technically a training video, from the fbi okay and it's called gambling with your life and it was produced by the fbi in conjunction with the nba and what it is is the fbi actually used to make presentations to all the major league teams and some college teams about the dangers of drugs and gambling and they basically were warning you hey look you fall into the wrong crowd you can get compromised certain ways and they can get you to fix games which is amazing because again Like the NFL and the NBA says, you know, we never had a game fixed. So I can't believe, you know, the FBI would even bother to show up and make these Mm -hmm. presentations if there's no threat whatsoever, as the league's claim. But they did, and they made a training video. It was hosted by Greg Greg Gumbel, and it goes on. And basically in this video, the FBI and the people they interview, which are some former gangsters and mobsters, Basically, lay out the many different ways in which games have been fixed, which again the NFL
1: says has never happened, yet here they have guys saying we've done it. I thought what was really interesting about that story in your book is the example of that. I believe it was an NBA player that they had a portrayal of where he goes to a party and somebody slips something in his drink or he drinks too much and they end up. Getting him into a compromising situation and photos are taken, and to me it sounded like a CIA espionage operation <laughs> or something you hear in Washington, D.C. there. So is this type of thing – do you believe this type of stuff is going on, on on a regular basis, compromising these players in various ways?
2: Well, the story that you mentioned is a true story, oh. and I've been actually trying for the past like year to get more information on it because the guy who supposedly did it went by this alias of Dr. Bordeaux. Which is a great name. (laughs) I was wondering (laughs) about that. Yeah, and so find the
0: one NBA player who drinks Bordeaux, and I think you've got your man.
2: (laughs) But uh, the FBI investigated and arrested this guy for doing that, and he had hundreds of names of athletes in his little black book, and many of which they believe he compromised. But I can't get any more information out of the FBI on this particular case because this guy's apparently still alive, and you know, third-party Freedom of Information Act request, you can't get information without the third party's okay wow. and I, don't hundreds, know I mean, the third party is i can't get it out
0: that sounds like a, a jeffrey epstein
1: it does level
0: it does. operation yes.
1: some of the quotes you had in your book reminded me of epstein i don't remember the exact quote but it was somebody saying something like you don't want to be associated with me if you're associated with me yeah everybody's gonna that sound like some jeffrey epstein would who's do. a mobster yeah
0: who said that yeah i think book. it was michael yeah, frances
1: who said that yeah
0: And this reminded me of something I read in the Franklin cover-up, I believe it was in the Franklin cover-up, it was like this pedophilia scandal that, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it involved like Republican lawmakers, local, and I think federal in the 80s, and one of the things I believe was in that book, but I read it somewhere, was that they would take new like freshman congressmen, invite them to a party in a brownstone, and Georgetown or whatever, and they would have, they would slip them a roofie or whatever they would do, and they would get them in a bedroom and take a picture, kind of like the one you described in your book. And that was it. You own that guy for life. He didn't even remember it.
2: Yeah. And that's all they had to do. And that's what this Dr. Bordeaux guy was supposedly doing. And you think about it today, you know, there's not much of a stigma over homosexuality as there used to be, but still. You know, name a professional athlete that you know of that's currently playing in the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball who is homosexual.
0: Well, Take here's the one. thing: I think so. It if you isn't... get the
2: compromising pictures of that guy, yeah.
0: but I don't even go. think it's so bad for a guy who's homosexual. He might be able to own that. But the way the what was described in that book was that the guy started with two chicks. And then they swapped out one of the chicks for a dude. It's and a took dirty pictures. trick. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, like, I just feel like if it's, if it's who you are and you want to own that and have to wrestle with that yourself, that's one thing. But if they slip you a roofie or bait and switch, and I imagine when drugs and a lot of sex are involved with these young guys, I mean, young people are in a savvy, uh, you know, haven't been around yeah. and are super excited about the the glitter well, so like I can definitely I think, see it happening. I
2: think you're right, and I think that's the thing, is there are ways to compromise these athletes and the referees and the coaches as well because people forget, you know, they are people. They have problems. They have weaknesses. They have ways that you could get to them. They may have a gambling problem. They may have a drug problem. They may have a problem with their wife or their spouse or girlfriend or their mom or whatever. You know, there are ways to get to these athletes and compromise them. And, you know, just because – a lot of fans, I think, what they happens is is they have this disconnect where they, in a way, always wanted to be a pro athlete or whatever, yeah. and so they believe all the cliches. They believe they if they if it was them, they would always give a hundred percent and you know take it to the next level and blah blah blah. But yet with these athletes, it's a job, and they have problems outside of their job, and that can affect their on the field performance. The question is, are they being compromised at certain times to affect their on the field performance?
0: Well, this is what I want to go back to Binkley's question. How pervasive is it? Because I've heard you say like the actual like broadcasting rights is billions of dollars. The league generate revenues, billions of dollars. But the gambling revenue is multiples of that. And for me, I think, you know, when you go to a casino in Vegas, how do gambling institutions make their money? Because the odds are stacked slightly in their favor. So how much of this goes on how much has to go on to give the edge to the to the gambling consortiums that are is it chronic as every day or is it just every once in a while
2: do you think the problem the problem is there's no way of knowing i mean interesting thing is the ncaa actually does a survey every four years of their student athletes and literally asks them have you been approached to fix a game or shave points do you know of another athlete who is actually shaved points Have you yourself done it? And every time they've run the survey over the past 20 years, they've gotten positive responses to all of those questions. So basically we know through the NCAA that we're guaranteed that, you know, college football and basketball games have been fixed and they've had points shaved in them, which ones who knows. So once we've seen like around the world where game fixing is prevalent, especially in soccer, in cricket, in rugby, in tennis, And we know it's prevalent there. What they do is a lot of times they get to hold the young athletes and then once and work with those athletes as they move up the ranks and then they're, you know, fixing professional soccer matches. Well, it's probably the same thing that potentially could be happening here where they get their hooks into a young athlete in the NCAA. He advances on to the NFL or the NBA and potentially they get him to shave points there. But the problem is nobody's looking for this. Nobody's investigating for it. The FBI itself, as I found out through my research, quit. They don't even look for this stuff. So if they're not doing it, and the media is certainly not going to go out of its way to do it, well, what does that leave? How are
1: these things going to be exposed?
2: I have no idea.
1: Well, you're exposing them, thankfully, and perhaps the FBI is, is uh, the ringleader in organizing some of them for all we know. When you talked about the, the college athlete thing, that, that's really interesting to me because that is where I think that young athletes who come from low-income communities but they're very gifted – I think could be compromised because they're not getting paid any money. And you talk a lot about paying athletes. You talk a lot about the na- the creating the name of the student athlete. Tell us a little bit about just your thoughts on whether athletes should be paid and just how they've kind of corrupted the whole system of college athletics.
2: Well, college athletics have been corrupted since they were started. Yeah, <laughs> That's the scary yeah. part is, I mean, you go back to the very first football games, which were like in the 1890s. And Yale and Harvard actually hired ringers yep. to come in and play football for them. Yeah, that's what Georgia Tech did. I'm a but Tech fan.
0: What isn't that what the whole thing is now though? Isn't it just ringers?
2: Pretty much. But I mean, it's you know they have this whole higher, high and mighty you know air about college athletics, and that. well, it's been corrupt since day one. And my argument is, is even if you pay the players, there's no good way of figuring out how to do that. Yeah, because What's frightens me is, you know, the highest paid state employee in like forty five or forty six of the fifty states in the United States is a college football coach or college basketball coach.
1: Yeah, the guy got half a million last night just for the win, the LSU coach, I believe. He got yeah. another half a million.
2: But I mean, like I, I live in Wisconsin you- and the highest paid state employee is the head coach for the Badgers. That's crazy. So my tax money goes to paying for him <laughs> yeah. to work. I, I don't, I care. I don't care if the Badgers have a team.
0: Because the championship was already slated to be in New Orleans, and then it happened to be like LSU's homecoming, basically. And I thought, oh, that's a. Coincidence. That's super, super great for a lot of people's revenue. Like it made it a great game. My husband went to the game and he was just like, "It's so awesome!" It's the whole. I was like, "Uh oh." <laughs> <laughs> but, uh but I, you know, I saw that you wrote in your book. It shocked me what you wrote, but it was funny because my parents always said this that they shouldn't have athletics in college, and my parents didn't even think they should have athletics in public school. They're like, "Go to, go to little league, have club sports." There are amateur leagues, professional leagues. There's no reason to pretend like these guys are going to school and it costs money.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think that's fair. I think the only way to fix the system is to destroy it and let it sort itself out. Because, again, outside the United States, there are no college athletic programs in any country. I mean, you think, you know, like soccer is huge in Europe and especially England. Well, there's no college soccer teams. They have like under 17 And 17 to 21, you know, semi-pro, pro pro soccer leagues. And that's where, if you want to try to make it as a soccer player, that's where you go. And that's what you do. But you don't go to college to play soccer like you do here. You go to college to play football.
0: The problem is that it it looks to me like there's plenty of exposés that the, the student athlete isn't actually being held to the academic standards that are supposed to be the benefit of not telling him drop out of school and go be a sportsman stay in school, we'll give you a good education. That's what you're getting. But a lot of times people are told to give them A's and whatever. And then yeah. so it's not really that they're getting the education.
2: Correct. And I think that's that's one of the issues with it all. And that's why, like I said, I don't think you can fix it. I don't think you can solve this problem unless you just eliminated all the problem. with that is, is how many people are making how many millions of dollars
1: selling the rights to these games to ESPN and everybody else. that's why it still exists. Yeah, and I've noticed that they're doing this with high school athletics now, too, where they're putting these 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 basketball teams, the next LeBron James they promoted as, and they'll they'll televise these games between – they have the national rankings now for high school athletics. Do you see – are they doing similar things to high school athletics? Are they also in jeopardy of possibly being compromised and point shaving or doing whatever? I don't, hopefully nobody's
2: betting on those games yet, but what (laughs) what worries me is that, you know, you teach a young athlete. I mean, you're talking even a seventh and eighth grader in in this day and age that, you know, if you're good at sports, you get treated differently and you get treated specially. And so in a way you start corrupting athletes when they're 12 years old, if not younger in some cases, because I went to a private high school. We recruited a couple of kids Specifically, to come to our high school to play basketball. Yeah. (laughs) So they had their tuitions paid for by other people who just promoted this school. They have these kids coming to play basketball. Well, guess what? You corrupted that kid right then and there because then agents swooped down on one of the kids was really good, and they probably corrupted him to get him into a certain college. And then agents came in again, corrupted him again, and get him got him all the way to the NBA. So this kid learned at the age of twelve how the system really works. And basically that, you know, there's a different path in life for these kids. And problem is, is that not all of them become NBA stars. A lot of them get, you know, chucked to the side of the road as things progress. But again, you've taught them and you've taught athletes all the way throughout their life that this is how the game is played. It's not really always above the board. There's a lot of stuff underneath it that we should all be worried about.
1: Yeah, and that they're privileged—they're uh, kind of above because they have the athletic gifts. My brother played professional baseball for a little while, and he played at Georgia Tech. So I've been around <laughs> a little bit. I've grown up—he's a lot older than me—but I, I grew up with a little bit of get treated differently, definitely yeah. when that happens. And had it
0: work out. I mean, do you feel like that was a good thing for his uh, outside of professional? Like the the what I think the lie is is that they're that they act like because it's an an extracurricular at a school that academics remains the primary interest of these kids and stripping away that that pretense might might be a little better because then they know the choices they're making along the way i mean did he get a good education did he use it or was it always secondary and
1: at that time of of his life baseball was primary he he left college, he got drafted his junior year and he, he went back and eventually graduated afterwards after he stopped playing and he has a good job he's doing he does well for right. himself but then
0: but it really is a feeder system it's really a fe- an athletic feeder thing not a it's not really about the education I, I mean you I know, think
1: for <laughs> I think for most college athletes that are have a have a shot at going pro I don't what do you think Brian I think probably their primary focus is trying to get into the league
2: I think so, too. I think that's what, you know, NCAA basketball and football is, is minor league basketball and football. It's just not labeled as such.
1: And I have to say, I love your idea of abolishing college sports because I've been afflicted with being a Georgia Tech fan my entire (laughs) life. And they are (laughs) terrible and it's torture all the time. And I want to ask you, this isn't in your book, but I I want to know if you are familiar with the 1990 Colorado Buffalo's famous fifth down game. Vaguely. I kind of remember it, but I don't Remind know him. the specifics. Well, Colorado and Georgia Tech split the national championship that year. Tech went, I think, 11-0-1, and, and Colorado went 11-1. and And one of Colorado's games, they got stopped on fourth down, and the game was over. But the referees miscounted, and yeah. they got a fifth down, and they scored a touchdown scored, and won yeah. the game, and therefore split the national championship ultimately because of that. Has baffled me my entire life. <laughs> well, so the, I what's mean, the rule? They didn't a have replay mistake. back then. Yeah, but a well,
0: ref mistake is okay. Well,
2: that's the thing, and that's why, like I say, I make this argument about games being manipulated by the leagues themselves because they can do it through their officials and the officiating. And the thing is, you know, people watching at home, you know, I think you see this sort of thing, maybe not every week, but way more often than you think, where. You know, you see clearly on your HD TV at home that some guy's out of bounds when he caught the pass. And you yeah. have to go to replay, come back until you know he was in bounds, and it's a first down or it's a touchdown, and you're like, wait a second, that's not what I just saw. I know what I saw. What are they looking at? And how are they ruling like that? I mean, how do you get a fifth down? How can you be that incompetent and go from four downs to also being five downs? How can you be So incompetent that, like in the Saints Rams, you know, playoff game last year, you did not call pass interference on a clearly pass interference play. And the thing that bothers me, which should bother fans too, is the officials who should be held accountable aren't. You know, the guy who blew the two referees that blew the call in the NFC championship game last year on the pass interference, they didn't get fined, they didn't get suspended, they didn't lose their jobs. Yet, I think if you or I screwed up on a national stage like that at our job, we probably would have some sort of repercussion come down on us. I would
1: think so.
0: Yeah, that's the red flag to me. Like, that's the red flag when you talk about government conspiracies as well. It's like, did the guy who screwed up get promoted? (laughs) Because when the guy gets promoted, it's like, why would that guy get promoted? He obviously, I mean, like the 9-11 guy said that people, some people were responsible for some... Really horrible uh, mistakes and breaches of protocol were promoted, and you just have to scratch your head like, who, what's going on there? There were a couple of yeah, Binkley.
1: There was something really I had never crossed my mind that people would gamble on this until I read your book. Tell us about esports gambling, video game gambling, <laughs> essentially. This just blew my mind.
2: Well, I think a lot of people. Older people, and I would consider myself an older person now because I'm in my 40s, I don't realize how big of an industry video games are in video game playing and how many millions of dollars get pumped in there. I mean, you know, some video game titles, they spend more time and energy making those, and they make more money than many Hollywood blockbusters. Yeah. And now these kids are playing these games, and especially it started really in South Korea, but they're playing them professionally. I mean, they literally have leagues where they play – NBA basketball through their Xbox and their PlayStation and people
1: watch it and people gamble on it. Yeah, Don't yeah. It See that's that's and what still, blows my mind. Is people watching and gambling on it. That's that's crazy. You know, if yeah, there's true. a way to gamble on something
2: people will figure that's it right. out. And, yeah. But what the scary part is is now you have these younger guys and it's the same thing like with professional athletes, you have these younger guys who are playing video games for a living and maybe making some money but not making a ton of money. And then you have somebody come along and say, "Hey, look, I'll give you, you know, whatever ten grand because I can make fifty grand gambling against you. Why don't you tank this next match you play on your Xbox?"
0: Yeah, and that's, that's too easy. <laughs> that's so easy. Wow. But Let me ask you. So now that gambling, there's that famous Supreme Court ruling that basically online gambling is legal, right? Isn't that how it kind of came down? It's starting in New Jersey, and it's basically going to spread all well, they'll over allow the country. States to- yeah, and I think I mean I think like ESPN is revamping itself over time to kind of accommodate like the way the the horse racing channel. I mean, it's all about the gambling. I think they're going to yeah. start kind of pivoting towards the gambling and I wonder if that'll actually solve some of the fixing problems because then maybe people will have it won't be just pure entertainment with no standing in a court of law if you lose a bunch of money and it's legal. Do you have any opinion about that? Well,
2: I think I think you're right. I think they are like ESPN's pivoting more toward gambling because everybody realizes, even the leagues, that a gambling fan is a fan who's going to watch the games. You know, if you're playing fantasy football for money, right. you're going to watch right. the game. If you're betting on the outcome of the game, you're going to watch the game. You're not going to bet on it and then walk away and not spend three hours rooting for the team you just bet on. If so I, have I think to it's sit under...
0: through a game. I'll sometimes bet on it. <laughs> Because I just cannot stand watching sports, but I'm just like if I put 20 bucks on this, then I'm going to care.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's what it comes down to. But I think overall, I think legalization of gambling is a very good thing because nobody knew in terms of sports gambling in the United States how much money was even being wagered. I mean, I've heard estimates estimates up to 400 billion dollars being wagered a year illegally on sports in the United States alone. I mean, $400 billion, dollars. that's an insane <laughs> amount of money. Yeah. But even if it's $100 billion, which many people think is at least true, well, now if you take it out of organized crime's hands, you make it legal. You may be putting it in a different crime family's hands now <laughs> if it's legal. Yeah, but but, it,
0: <laughs> but at least I you have it, oversight it, over it. will have to, right, because like, that's a big problem with this. I, I know that you've cited a case before where the Jets fan didn't have the right to a fair contest. But if, if the government allows gambling, gambling is generally highly regulated or at least, you know, anything the government allows, they feel like they have a responsibility for, maybe that guy would have a different outcome or different standing in the court if he said, hey, no. like this is an honest service and I'm, I have a reliance, you know, recognizes it's like short amounts of fraud if, somebody's allowing me to bet on this. No, you don't think it will battle it? No, I,
2: you know, and that, that's a scary thing. That's another reason why leagues can manipulate their own game is because it's not, it doesn't actually even come down to fraud. And that's what that case showed is when this Jets fan who was a lawyer sued the Patriots, New England Patriots, over the whole Spygate scandal, he basically said, like you said, he believed he wasn't getting a fair shake. He wasn't getting a fair game when he paid all this money to go see it. And what the, you know, judges ruled the third circuit court of appeal ruled was that when you buy a ticket to a sporting event all the league has to do is basically put that sporting event on if you paid to see an nfl game they just have to put on an nfl game it doesn't mean rules have to be followed doesn't mean certain players have to play it just means that they can't go out and put a basketball game on they have to play a football game if they played a football game you got what you paid for So So, even if they were cheating, even if they were fixing it, as long as they weren't necessarily fixing it for gambling purposes, but if it was just a big show, if it was a production like a circus or, you know, a play, if that's what they did, they're legally, they fulfilled their obligation as a league.
0: Well, it sure would, even if you don't talk. To, look at the government for help, it sure would be honest and good reporting if the media is pivoting to gambling for the media itself to be the ones to ferret this stuff out, to expose it. But in your experience, it's quite the opposite, right? The media doesn't not only doesn't expose it, it's complicit in covering it up. I have an example for you, but I want to hear your reaction.
2: Well, I mean, you look at ESPN. I mean— ESPN funds, literally funds the NFL. They fund the National Basketball Association. They fund Major League Baseball because they give them billions of dollars a year. So as a company, why would you give the NFL, you know, a billion and a half dollars a year and then go investigate it and out all the criminal behavior going on within that league? You're just going to shoot yourself in the foot because nobody's going to want to watch the product you just paid for. And I experienced that myself as when I wrote that book, Larceny Games, which is based on all those FBI files. And like I say, I outed, I want to say six or seven Hall of Fame athletes as gambling on games in which they played, which should have been big news. And in fact, right. my publisher was contacted by ESPN. You know, we were, I had talks with producers from 60 Minutes. HBO Sports was interested. We had a whole slew of people interested in this book, and then nobody did a single thing with it. Nobody reviewed the book. Nobody said the book was bad. Nobody said the book was good. They all pretended like it didn't exist. It just disappeared. Who were the players? Nobody paid attention to it. Nobody went and found it. Nobody bought it because nobody heard about it. Who were the players? Well, some of the players. I mean, they were big names. I mean, Wilt Chamberlain was involved. Bill Russell was involved. Yeah. Len Dawson was involved. Um, what's the other guy? George Blanda was involved. These were all guys the FBI named as being involved in gambling upon games in which they played.
1: What about Jordan? Do you know anything about Jordan? I know some of the. I've heard some of the conspiracy theories, but I've never really dove into that one. Well, myself, I'm certain the first time he retired, he was basically kicked out of the league. That's
2: what what I had heard.
0: Yeah, when he went to play baseball.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that he had a gambling problem. And because he was such a big deal to like McDonald's and Nike and Chevrolet and the NBA, the NBA basically said, hey, look, dude, you got to lay low for a while. (laughs) And they got him out of there. His father's
0: murder was rumored to be associated with that, with his gambling problem.
2: Potentially, yes. I mean, they, you know, Supposedly,
0: it was around that time,
1: legally speaking, you know, that had nothing to do with it. But right. I think in reality, it could had have a been. Huge deal. Do you find yourself being followed by unmarked black cars?
2: <laughs> black helicopters.
1: Not yet, they're le- or
2: maybe they're very good, and I'm just unobservant. But no, I think more what it is is like I said with that book is it's the sports media doesn't want to hear this stuff. They don't want to be involved. They'll interview me and be like, "Oh, here's the crazy conspiracy guy talking about." <laughs> But you did the this based on
0: FBI files. That's that's just most (laughs) well documented.
2: That's just it. But like I say, they'll talk to me and use me, like I say, as kind of fodder to you know for this idea or that idea. But I think you know overall their their goal is to make sure what I do and say doesn't see the light today. Because again, if you can't get exposure from like ESPN or Sports Illustrated. Well, not even Sports you Illustrated exist, so much, yeah. but ESPN. Yeah, you don't exist because where else do you go for your sports news? I so I if they can a, silence you by omission, they will. And like, yeah, like and I told works. you before the show, you know what scares me is I'm just writing about sports. Who cares? But the people writing about more important subject matter, you know, how are they getting knocked out by bigger news stories and bigger down news organizations?
0: From WordPress, <laughs> I can't even say I can't even survive on the internet anymore. With yeah. that stuff. But I uh, I wanted to I ask your boxing thing. So Max Kellerman's on ESPN. I always thought he was a good boxing commentator. I kinda like boxing. I'm not like super knowledgeable about it, but my brother's in the golden gloves and um whatever. I always followed it. And I was at a real I love triple G. Are do you still follow boxing? I know you've dipped into it yourself in the past, Brian, but Triple G is bit, the yeah. like Kazakhstan guy, uh yeah. Gennady Golovkin, who was great and he had this match against Canelo Alvarez who was like up a weight class or two to fight him. And I was there at the event. It was on Mexican Independence Day. So the entire audience was Canelos. I mean, they were just crazy for him and I kind of liked him, but I was rooting for Triple G. And the decision, so we weren't obviously not watching it on television. We weren't listening to Kellerman like blow by blow it. We were just watching the game, the match. And when the, when it came out, the decision was a tie. This (laughs) entire place, which was in Canelo's pocket, booed. Like it was such an egregiously wrong fixed match that even. Fans of Canelo who benefited from it coming down as a tie were horrified. Like, we were – it was terrible. Like, we were angry. It was bad, really bad. And Kellerman got up, and, I mean, for days after that, he apologized, and it was, like, the chick judge who got it really wrong. And some people just, you know, have a bad day. You know chicks, whatever. And and then after that, like, he was so – he was just so obviously – not calling it as he saw it and and then his star really began to rise and he got a higher profile job and all that but i just couldn't understand why espn why i guess because canelo's like the face job or north american or i don't know what but they were just all i mean, triple g was like this is pathetic it was really pathetic and i was embarrassed but i couldn't understand what was in it for them just that canelo's good looking i mean i really think that's what it came down to they had well, this media guy. i
2: would just say, and the question is, is who got to the judge and why? You know, was it a gambling thing? Was it, oh, like yeah. you said, was it an ESPN thing? Who did it and why? Yeah. Because, I mean, I one of the most shocking things, I think, in all my research was that I interviewed this guy by the name of Charles Farrell. who was a boxing manager for five different world champions, you know, throughout the course of his career. And he told me, without a doubt, I mean, without batting an eye, he's like, oh, boxing matches are fixed all the time he goes i've done it he goes i've paid off judges i've paid off this guy and that guy to get certain results
0: <laughs> so, well I mean, yeah i mean you know, the pacquiao it, mayweather fight was another one that was like yeah. what pacquiao looked like he took a dive on that and you know why to get another match or
2: and that's what it is sometimes i mean people you know people laugh at professional wrestling and you know think sometimes you know certain people who are fans of it are you know fools but you know there's no like legal difference between professional wrestling, the sports entertainment and the NFL or boxing, the sports entertainment. It, it, it's all the same thing. They can all do the same thing. It's just really professional wrestling is the most honest sport out there because they're yeah. telling you, Hey, this is a big show and we're putting it on and our guys are athletic and our women are athletic and they could do certain things, but come on, you know, they're not really getting hit with a two by four or with a table or with a chair, you know, come on, let's be honest with each other. But you know, the NFL and boxing, they say, well, this is all real. Nobody can, you know, affect the integrity of our sport. Nonsense.
1: You make I a great point big. there about the wrestling. The fans are just as rabid in wrestling about the team or the person that they want to win as they are in football or baseball. Yet they know that the wrestling, they they suspend disbelief, but they know know that it's not real, but they're still just as rabid. And I think that might be what contributes getting away with it is that rabidness uh, to want to win just like in politics like monica mentioned earlier i want to hear about muhammad ali the alternative history
0: (laughs) i have to say i i have to say i uh i met muhammad ali i've always been a big fan we always watched the fights and it occurred to me recently it's like you know That big fight against Liston, Liston took a dive. I said, and then Muhammad Ali dropped out of the game for his, quote, prime. Maybe he wasn't as good as everybody said anyway. And then I read the chapter in your book and I was like, wow, I just, I didn't even know that was a thing.
2: Yeah, it's, it's amazing because the same thing, my brother to this day is still a huge Muhammad Ali fan. So he wasn't happy with me either when I wrote that chapter. (laughs) But, but I find it amazing is that I could make a clear case for the three times that Ali won the heavyweight title and he's the only person to ever win it three times that every one of those fights were fixed for him to win
0: the sphinx one was like undeniable your uh, description of that in the book but how about the second one
2: well that was the one I didn't think was until I heard an interview with George Foreman because (laughs) the second time he won which was immortalized in that movie Ali you know with Will Smith in the role but Foreman had a lot of questions himself about that fight. He thinks he might've actually been like poisoned. He thinks that his manager basically set him up and poisoned him. And because he lost energy after about three rounds, he said, he just, I mean, everybody thinks, well, it's because Muhammad Ali did the rope a dope and he just allowed Foreman to punch himself out. But Foreman was about 10 years younger than Ali. He He was in his prime. He was like 25 years old. He should have been able to pound Ali for 15 rounds. No problem. Instead, he claims that something was up with that fight and that he lost his energy within three rounds. And that's why you know, Ali beat him. And for the people involved, money speaking, they wanted Ali to win. They needed
1: Ali to win because, well, as we all know, he's become an icon. Yeah. So his personality fueled, they wanted to keep that personality prominent. Alive. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's what I think about Canelo. Canelo, I mean, triple G, I love him. I He's, tough as nails like he he's my ideal boxer but canelo i mean they had i remember watching this fight and canelo had like big money tv commercials that he was starring in during this fight and i was like but he's like the he he's not as good as triple g and my husband's like he's just much better looking and I was like oh yeah. wow but the foreman we'll thing he also this... said he thought the robes were loose
2: well think about this too i mean we're we're potentially at a super bowl where the two football players who are uh the spokesman for State Farm could be playing each other. I hadn't thought about so that, that coincidental? <laughs> you have Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes starting those state farm commercials, and they very well could be in the Super Bowl playing uh, each other.
1: Yeah. Well we know who wins that Super Bowl, the State Farm. <laughs> That's yeah, it.
2: exactly. Is it
0: the State Farm Super Bowl?
2: Might be. We haven't we haven't got there yet, but it's 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 close.
1: What who who are the biggest cheaters in history if you had to identify a group whether it's a sport or a team jeez you mean fixers? fixers yeah
2: well I could put out two things one if you want to go to the boxing route I mean it's without a doubt the 1950s and early 60s boxing was controlled by organized crime Yeah, and it was controlled by Frankie Carble basically one guy ran boxing for like 10 years and then he sold it to cbs and nbc as wednesday night and friday night fights i mean i think that's remarkable that that could happen and you know not happen that long ago but people completely forget it even occurred but i think more recently i think the nba when david stern was in charge was almost equally as corrupt yeah and i think they were working with nbc and they made michael jordan the name he is they made The NBA, what it is, through what I believe was manipulation and fixing of games for a good 10, 15 years, no doubt.
0: And how about the draft?
2: Well, in the NBA draft, I think he fixed that. Like I think he fixed it to make sure that Patrick Ewing wound up on the Knicks. I mean, I think that's without a doubt. But how? With
0: the frozen envelope?
2: No, all you got to do is watch it. If you watch the video, which they used to have on YouTube, they might have pulled it again. But if you watch it, he there's seven envelopes. And the fourth envelope, which is the middle envelope, whether you start from the top or the bottom, he throws violently against the side of the hopper, which you shouldn't have to do. If you're going to th- put the envelopes in a hopper and spin it, we'll just put them in and spin it. No, he throws it against the side in the dog ears. And you can clearly see he pulls the dog-eared envelope out, and that's the envelope that had the
1: Knicks logo in it. It <laughs> had dog ears?
0: That's <laughs> yeah. Well, it got bent over. Yeah, that's the yeah, thing. It got bent. So BuzzFeed has this video show that is called, like, Unsolved Sports Conspiracies, and it's just, like, all these, like, conspiracy theory shows that say that they're going to debunk it, and they really just cover it up. And they showed that, but they didn't, I don't remember, they didn't, like, just show the video from start to finish. They had, like, mockups of the video. So now I didn't even think to go watch it for myself. Yeah. But they're like, oh, we really don't know, and we don't think so, but... Yeah,
2: exactly. Well, everybody doesn't, you know, of course it didn't happen. Yes, right. I mean, that's the thing is people, again, the NBA is a business. It's a multi-billion dollar business. The NFL is a multi-billion dollar business. And they have no legal constraint over them fixing the outcomes of games. And what I like to equate it to is McDonald's. Is If, if I told you McDonald's had a food additive that was FDA approved, perfectly legal, that they could stick in their Big Macs. They would make the Big Mac taste better every time you took Mm -hmm. a bite of it. McDonald's is going to put that in its Big Mac tomorrow. Yeah. And they're going to sell Big Macs all day long, every day, and make a bunch of money. And no one's going to care because it's perfectly legal, it tastes good, and everything's great. Well, guess what? That's exactly what the NFL can do. They can manipulate the game as you watch it legally to make it more exciting and make you watch into the fourth quarter to the two-minute warning, to the very end of the game and they can do it legally why wouldn't they do it if they're in business to make money and that's why they play the games is to make money why wouldn't they manipulate
1: them when they have the perfect legal opportunity to do so if the door's open they're going to take it <laughs> yeah my friend had a question cuz i we were talking about i was telling him about your book and we got to talking about everything that people bet on they bet on what the halftime show is going to be like they bet on the coin flip and other stuff Is there fixing of stuff like that, of, like, the coin flip?
2: Well, I don't think of the coin flip, but one of the most dangerous things in sports betting is what they call spot fixing. And that's something that's really only happened, like, in Europe and outside the United States so far. But they know what's happened, and it's happened a lot, like, in cricket, for example. And that's when you can make these in-game bets. And they're kind of like proposition bets like that where you can bet on who might you know have the first yellow card or penalty in soccer and that sort of thing and they know for a fact that guys have intentionally done things like gotten a yellow card because they know somebody's betting on them to be the first person to get a yellow card wow that's interesting so i mean if you can bet on balls and strikes in tennis you can bet on individual points or you can bet on individual games and individual sets well if you're you know a struggling or middle of the road tennis player and you know you can make ten grand by making sure you lose the second game of the second set. Wouldn't you be maybe inclined to lose the second game of the second set because it's not going to necessarily cost you the whole match, but yet you can make ten grand blowing that one game.
0: I want to go back to the NFL for a second. I never heard anybody say this, but I always wondered if Donald Trump blew up the USFL on purpose.
2: <laughs> you know, because he did sure. a really stupid
0: a, thing that ruined it and i was like why would i why would a savvy guy do that
2: you know it's a good question because there was a great documentary about the usfl and his involvement in it and he referred to the league as what i think small potatoes in the end but his goal was to become a nfl owner well that's and what he was trying oh, to do yeah. it through the usfl yeah. But
0: I, I, if I recall correctly, the USFL was actually gaining some traction, and he decided to use all of his influence and power to get it to go head-to-head with the NFL, which was exactly yeah. the opposite of what the point of the whole league was. There was no yeah. way. So yeah, I don't know. I, just, I mean, it might have been – Why would he do some, that? Somebody,
2: yeah,
1: it might have been some jealousy. Some back been some anger, story. But maybe there's
0: position. back room dealing for him. He certainly – Landed yeah. on his feet, ultimately.
1: He does like to make some deals. There's something interesting. I, I want you to help me understand it a little, little bit better. I, I don't really care much about NASCAR. To me, drive, watching cars drive in circles over and over again, I, I just, you know, I, I just can't take it. But reading your book, you're talking about how – were you saying that almost all of NASCAR is owned by like one family or one group? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah the France family
2: actually owns NASCAR. They own the league. If yeah, have a better term. Yeah, they own it. So they same thing. They can do with it if they want. Yeah, and it's like that's why you get some of these weird yellow flags and races, and you get certain results that seem kind of shady. Well, they own the league. They can do with it as they please.
0: You know, and you I mean, you know, some...
2: I wrote about a thing called the they called the call, um, and it wasn't something I invented. It was a conspiracy theory about NASCAR that's existed since the like 1970s where. Certain drivers or owners of teams would get a phone call from, you know, NASCAR that says, hey, today's not your day, guys. Stand down.
1: (laughs) And that's why maybe they help one of their teammates out because people on the
2: same team. Shake and bake. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly it.
0: So when – so I'm just trying to think through the gambling thing. So France family owns NASCAR. They can do whatever they want. It's a cartoon or wh- however they want to do it it's a show it's wrestling then some outside entity gets people to bet and they say well even if it like my mother bets on horse racing all the time and she says i don't i know it's fixed but i don't know how it's fixed so i could still win <laughs> so, so it's like true. you know it's what i mean true. that's her idea so so the only way is that if the guy who's taking your bet Taking a big, big bet knows it was. uh, There was an example in your book that was like that. Oh, the Ali case. So they said that um, I guess Ali was going to beat Spinks or something. They took a really, really big bet, and then, then the so the gambler knew and uh, and exploited that. But I wonder once it goes. Once it goes legal, if somebody like David Stern says, and he did say stuff like this, or like the MLB guy said yesterday, when that this doesn't, that these guys didn't know, or we, this has never happened in the NBA, or we don't tank games, or any of that, they make statements that people, gamblers, if it's legal to gamble, do they have any right to rely? I mean, these are statements. Okay, so maybe I don't know if they benefit from whatever, but I'm just thinking at some point these guys are making assertions that they are providing something. Then, but they might not be legally obliged to do. But are they allowed to like lie to your dest- detriment? I guess it's a first First Amendment question. Yeah, it would get out of our league.
2: Think about this way: you can bet on the outcomes of professional wrestling matches,
0: right? Yeah. If you can bet
2: on that. <laughs> that's like, yeah. Then, you know, it's kind of buyer beware, right. isn't it? I mean, if yeah, if and you think the NFL's fixed and you're still gambling on it, that's up to you. That's interesting,
1: right? yeah.
0: But there's just something so, about I mean, those people in position. See, cause plus the leagues in a lot of ways, I mean, I don't know the details, but I've seen some of them. And you've talked about it, too. Like, these leagues are protected. Uh, they're given advantages as a monopoly. They're they're kind of exempt from antitrust. You know, they don't follow the normal rules of an industry, legally speaking, right? I mean, they do have yeah. certain—like, I just don't feel like this is just some dog-eat-dog world out there. They have a kind of shroud, a, uh, a halo effect from their privileged, exalted position where they want to talk about the— um, They talk about this stuff in Congress sometimes, the BCS or whatever, and I just feel like at a certain point, if you have this exalted position and somebody – and you make this statement, you're in a position of trust. I mean, I just – I feel like they – it's the fix has to really be in for these judges even to come down and say, buyer beware. I mean, I'm all for buyer beware, but that's not really how our system works a lot but of times it, I mean, unless – it-
2: yeah. i was say wasn't I mean we kind of gave the leagues that power though. You know what I mean? I mean it wasn't really I mean it was kind of granted to them but at the same time fans and again the media has kind of given them that high and mighty stature that they probably don't deserve by any rate. you know? I mean there's plenty of questions to integrity in any sport you want to look at. So I mean if you know you, you want to say you know they're talking from this high ground or whatever i don't think they have that moral high ground i think it's just we've seen enough of espn yeah. and some of these other sports media outlets that give them this high ground but that's because... like
0: the politics i'm like they're yeah. all onto yeah. the to you and you thing. know really? it we like, put them there, and everybody will say so i have a radio show or a political radio show where people call in so when obama was in office people would call in with with completely understanding that all the politics and the media and everything were completely fixed. And then when Trump is in, it's like, well, you know, he's doing his best. I'm like, dude, I'm, they know, they know. And yet they don't, they want the hero.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think that's just it is, is people, there's this thing they have, which I never knew about until I wrote the books was they have this, I mean, it's a technical term called basking in reflective glory or bird And basically what it is, is people feel good when the team they support does well. And so that's why if you listen to sports radio, when a team's winning, when the fans call in, they'll say, we need to do this, or we need to do that, or wasn't that a great win for us? You know, the fan's not on the team. He kind of gets this mental image that he is. And when their team's doing bad, they'll often distance distance himself and say, they need to do this, or they need to do that. Right. But that's the problem, is It's it's actually kind of (laughs) almost like a drug for fans and yeah. the leagues absolutely league. you know they I think prosper off of that.
0: put your finger on the trump cult of personality thing a little bit in that yeah. and binkley has told me this and i've noticed it from callers that what they say they like about him why they really will go to the map for this guy is that he will mouth off to the liberal media he will say mean things to CNN that they wish they had the opportunity to say. They're exactly. just so happy somebody's saying it, and that's to them. They feel like they are one with him in that they're he's doing that. Well, so I, I can see the parallels. I think that's Continue. what's in play.
1: Yeah, and I can tell you as a Georgia Tech fan that <laughs> on the rare occasion that they do get a victory, <laughs> I can't even enjoy that good feeling that comes because I know how stupid it is. But because it's like an addiction that you can't break, it's like, well, I guess I got to feel kind of good right now about something I didn't have anything to do with.
0: <laughs> I do find well, myself caught up, too. And I, I'm amazed because I really don't have a horse in any race. And if I go to one of these, I do like Triple G. But if I go to some sporting event and I'm with a certain fan base, I'm super excited when that side wins.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, they have found that, you know, the home field advantage exists. You know, basically because the leagues make it exist. I mean, they've kind of done the studies that have shown that officiating does intentionally lead, lean in the way of the home team because they found that the more often a home team wins, the more, you know, merchandise gets sold, the more hot dogs get sold, the more, you know, coverage the team will get. So that's why most teams win more often at home because I think it's an artificial creation because it creates more revenue for everybody involved.
0: It's just because like of casinos. this whole idea. It's- A tiny little advantage makes all the money for the casino. It's just that little big, that little tiny odds advantage, which you know about. You realize they have to put the brick and mortar in. You have to pay them. You're paying for your entertainment. You're not sure how much you're paying for it. But yeah, I think that's why it all comes down to that tiny little consistent margin is where all the money comes from. Maybe we crack the code. That was kind of the code I wanted to crack. Like how big a deal is it? How pervasive is it? And it's really just comes down to being a difference maker.
2: Yeah, that's all it needs to be. I mean, like you said, with a gambler, if you have a five percent edge and you can push that to seven percent, you'll do it because seven's better than five. And I think and that's what it is yeah. with the professional sports leagues. Is I don't think You know, I don't think the NFL is rigged like professional wrestling where they determine the outcome of every game, but if there's a certain storyline or certain player they want to promote and kind of make sure that that person advances perhaps into the playoffs or into the Super Bowl, if you give them a couple of, you know, bonus calls on the officiating side or, you know, don't call them for holding or pass interference or that sort of thing, those slight differences are enough to make a difference in the outcome of a game, and that's all it takes. You don't need all 11 guys in on the fix if you just get one dude to do the right thing at the right time, that little advantage is all it takes to tweak the outcome of a game.
1: And I think that that point right there is what a lot of people don't recognize is that it isn't a whole bunch of people that have to be involved in order to get change no. the outcome of a game like that. I think we are running uh, running yeah, right were, up till the end here. Monica? I
0: wanted to just say next time, Brian, I absolutely, I wish we, we had a chance to touch on it. I want to hear about, Disaster governments. Your book, oh, National yeah. Emergencies: Continuity of <laughs> Government, and you—that's a little bit more in my wheelhouse. But I do—I find this very fascinating, and I want to—I want to go another level with—with with you on that.
1: So, where can people find your book, Brian? think uh, they can either go to my website.
2: You could get an autographed copy straight from me at thefixesin.net, or else um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever good books are sold. Your local bookstore will probably even get it for you if you
1: ask them fantastic check it out it's a great read yes
0: thank you so much for coming on i really loved picking your brain about that and i loved uh just some of the things really rang a bell with me and i was surprised that i could even follow it because i really have no experience (laughs) in sports whatsoever but it just made sense and it was fascinating
2: well, people always say I ruin sports for them, and I'm not trying to ruin it for you. I'm just trying to make you a more informed fan so you understand what you're watching yeah. and consuming. And that's yeah, more important. Yeah,
0: just have a cocktail and yeah. still have fun. That way you don't have to fight yeah. with your
1: best friend who is a fan of the rival team. You know, it's all. Exactly.
0: Now we're getting personal with Binkley. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Brian, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again.
2: Yes, thanks again for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Brian.